Hey everyone and welcome to the Woofing Possum podcast, the canine podcast for you, the pooch parent and the dog daft. I'm your host Greg, I'm a dog trainer based up in the northeast of England and my company is called Great Paws. So, whether you're having a cuppa and snuggling with your dog, out walking your dog, training your dog or maybe in your caravan driving your dog somewhere, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, so let's dive into the next episode. Hey Woofing Possum Podcasters and welcome to what is going to be a very different episode. Now you may have seen on social media that myself and the fantastic Carrie Ann Selwyn of the Canine Hoopers World Podcast have been working on a collaboration that we've called the Dog Training Dictionary. So I thought what better way to introduce it to you guys by giving you access to that episode. This went live this week. It's on all of the podcast platforms, so feel free to go and check it out, like, rate, subscribe, do all that fantastic stuff. But I, yeah, I really hope you like it, guys. The way we're going to do this moving forward is the Dog Training Dictionary is going to come out every other week. So what I'm now going to do is move the Woofing Porson podcast to coincide with basically every other week. So that each week you're either going to have an episode of the Dog Training Dictionary podcast or the Woofing Porson podcast to listen to. So folks, I really hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Come and follow us on various social media platforms and I really hope you enjoy it. My name is Greg, and along with my amazing friend Carrie Ann Selwyn, we're going to be the hosts for the Dog Training Dictionary. Now, before we dive into the episode, what you're about to hear was originally planned to be a crossover episode for our own podcast. So, Carrie Ann actually runs a Canine Hoopers World podcast, and I have the Woofing Porson podcast. But as we were talking, the idea of the Dog Training Dictionary was born, so we thought, well, why not use this as our first episode so you can see where it all began. So, we hope you enjoy. Hey, Greg, we're doing a crossover. We are. Hello. Well, well, welcome back, I am guess. Is it, can I say <laughs> welcome back on a crossover? I know. I'm hey. like, hang on, who's doing the interview? And this is going to get confusing. This is a uh, little bit like when me and Benja do our... Uh, between us trainers facebook live where it's just chatting yeah i'm, I'm sure we'll muddle through it if, if anything i'll just defer to you it's it's the easiest way to get through life why you're more adult than i am your adulting level is definitely higher than mine is Nah, i don't reckon so you're sounding like a proper chair and stuff <laughs> you i'm also, like drink, I'm also drinking office. on the podcast definitely not the responsible adult here well, to be fair, I'm a little bit disappointed with myself for not thinking to bring rum. I feel like I've I've let the pirate team down, really. You, you're just going to have to be demoted to to deckhand or something for the time being. Right, watch it, watch <laughs> it, yay! I will always be the admiral, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll I'll stick being the commodore then. There we go. There we go. That's cool. That's fine. We'll we'll deal with that. That's cool. 
So, so Mr. So, Greg, um, yes. for people that are listening to the Canine Heap as well podcast, you have the Woofin Pawson podcast. I do, yes. So um, if they listen to this and think you actually sound all right, they can find you where they find me. Absolutely, yeah. Woofin Pawson podcast, uh, Woofin without the G. Um, yeah, and yeah, come and have a listen. Um, they will even find your dulcet tones on there. Because technically, this means you're my first returning guest um, on this crossover. So um, they can have you a double dose of carry on on my podcast if they're uh, not that they would be, but if they are a little bit tired of hearing you on your own podcast, they can come and hear you on my podcast. <laughs> it's possible, but to be fair, if they've hit the subscribe button, then that, that's your own doing. More fun. Um, but just quickly, guys, because um, I know you hear, if you listen to podcasts a lot, you will hear. Like people saying, please rate and review and subscribe. Like it really, really does help. Like this is one of the reasons we're doing a little crossover because if you are enjoying listening to my podcast, you'll probably enjoy Greg's. And if you enjoy Greg's podcast, hopefully you'll enjoy mine. So it's a way of finding something else to listen to as well. Um, But yeah, if you're listening on like Apple or um stitcher or whatever just please rate review subscribe tell all your mates tell the people down the park that this is these are the podcasts they should be listening to as a, a, a very popular um podcast says you've got to pass the pod you've got to pass it on to people pass the pod i like that it's quite catchy quite catchy in there i quite like, I like that where did you it's steal like... that one from um, <laughs> here we go. Uh, so I'm, this is going to be, I'm not a big football fan. And when I even did watch football, I wasn't a fan of Peter Crouch. Uh-huh. However, that Peter Crouch podcast is actually really good. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, uh, cool. There's, there's a little podcast uh, recommendation. So no, they've, they've got millions of listeners. Don't listen to them. Just listen to us. Well, because you know that I'm obsessed with my favourite murder, because that's like my favourite, favourite podcast in the world. Which you've now um, got me on to. Is. I actually found, and The Alarmist, I've put you on to that one as well, because The Alarmist. Yeah, I haven't actually listened to that one yet. That's that's next up. I've also been put on to this paranormal life, which is two Irish guys chatting about paranormal stuff, which is actually quite funny. So... If you like saying a bit out of this world, then that's one. But I think we should talk about dogs because this is a dog yes. podcast. Um, now we've done a review of like every other podcast in the world. Um, so this one, we were chatting the other day and I've been, one of my friends listens to my podcast and she's an owner and she was like, oh, sometimes, you know, when you're talking to like the other pet professionals, like there's terms you use that, owners might not understand and I think that as trainers when we talk trainer to trainer um we sometimes kind of get a bit geeky and go into trainer talk which is all cool so I thought it'd be cool to kind of do a bit of a a thesaurus of training terms it's not going to be like a full thesaurus this ain't like some 90 hour episode that's in 38 we we could make this a series we could have a spin-off series of like <laughs> dog trainer thesaurus. Um, you know, a little that, mini that, sode. That, yeah, like a little yeah, mini sode of both okay, with all the jargon, yeah. Mate, it's... like I know about the mini sodes. I love the mini sode. Um, 
yeah so maybe if this goes well maybe we should do that actually do a little spin-off like trainers thesaurus no pressure I'm noting that down because I do like the sound of that. I'm actually thinking that we might be like on to a thing, but now I'm thinking that we should have thought this out a bit more and maybe we should start at A rather than just picking a random term from the album. What we do, consider this, you know, like how you do those teaser podcast episodes. We can kind of think this of an extended teaser where we just rabble rubbish about random like terms. Pilot. That we talk about. This is yeah, the pilot yeah. episode. Yeah, and then, you know, if we do really well, we could be like friends and have 260-odd episodes of it. Who knows? My God, I love this. This is amazing. So, okay, right. So this is now the pilot episode <laughs> of The Trainer's Thesaurus. Oh, my goodness. Um, so where shall we begin? Well, I, I, I think the one that, that I think it was actually the same listener stroke friend of yours i think was one of the terms that you use um we all use it um and i think that was threshold i think that was a good one to start with yeah yeah fresh threshold is a good one so we talk a lot about like oh you know you need to keep your dog under threshold or oh my god he's over threshold or he's trigger stacked trigger stacking kind of falls into threshold and threshold is basically The point of where your dog can cope and do dog stuff, when they go over threshold, they are no longer kind of calm. They're not listening. They may not be able to take treats. They may not want to play. They may be showing behaviours that you don't particularly like. We are both German Shepherd owners, so... Lungy shouting, barking um, is good examples of over-threshold that we are both familiar with, with the shepherds. Um, we're not shepherd bashing. We both have them. It's 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 a blessing and a curse. <laughs> certainly is. Certainly is. It's, uh, yeah, I, it, threshold's always one of those words where, I, it, again, I think probably one of the biggest challenges with it, with any word that we use in dog training, whether that's with people that we're working with or whether it's between professionals, is even the word itself has a slightly different meaning or interpretation to that particular person. Yeah. So you and I both say threshold. However, I'm fairly sure our descriptions of it or things that we would consider a threshold style conversation mm. will deviate and will change, which... Yeah makes it even harder for other people who don't use that terminology daily to get their head around it. Cause talking to you, they're going to hear one version of it. Talking to me, they're going to get a slightly different version. Yep. Hopefully we should be pretty much, you know, telling the same story with different words. Yep. And, and I think that's why it can get a little bit overwhelming for anybody even. And, and dare I say, it's probably where a lot of our heated debates in the professional world start because <laughs> we're effectively <laughs> talking about the same heated debates. I don't believe it for a minute. Any dog trainers listening, it's a thing. Anyone that's not, like, trainers can get sassy. It's just, it's because we're so passionate about what we do. And sometimes the passion gets misplaced with stuff. So, Mr. Greg, what does threshold mean to you when you're talking? I've just asked him a question, just he's taking a big old glug of rum there. It's, uh, I'm just prepping myself for it. It's not a drinking game, dude. It's not like say fresh. I'll take a drink. Like. Oh, you've caught on to me already. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, 
Um, so definitely, obviously, the things that you said, absolutely. When I when I kind of talk to people about it, I, I think one of the things I always kind of talk to is, as you know, I love analogies. So I always throw some version of an analogy in there at, at some point. But for me, it's about the difference between when my dog can think and process versus when they're reacting. Mm-hmm. And, and that, for me, is that threshold being reached. How they get there, I kind of go down a totally different explanation of the reasons why and how they get there. Mm-hmm. But for me, that threshold is that point of the thinking kind of switches off and yeah. the more impulsive, natural, instinctive stuff starts to happen. Yeah. So... I, the, the analogy I always use, just because I've got to throw one out there, is I'm not a big fan of spiders. Yeah. Um, I know, hilarious when I'm as big as I am, but um, not a big fan of spiders. But I can deal with them, you know, good distance, know where they are in the house, all that kind of stuff. I'm totally fine. So I um, think something that's, what can I do? Uh, only because I'm sat in my office and there's a drum kit next to me. I can play the drums badly, but I can play them. <laughs> and if somebody entered the room with a spider, my ability to continue to drum, which I've done for, for a number of years and is relatively kind of fluid, mm. is going to start to decrease the closer that person gets to me with that spider. Yep. And that for me is that kind of threshold getting closer and closer to a point where me playing the drums is the last thing on my mind. And if anything, I'm probably throwing drumsticks at the person with the spider, squealing and trying to run out the room. And that's me over threshold at that point. Yeah. So, and the reason I like to use analogies like that is because with a lot of stuff that we kind of look for with our dogs is kind of putting a a dog version of this. So if my dog, which Betty Boo, she does, she likes to shout at other dogs when she's on a lead. That for me. (laughs) Hang on. on. Did you just say you've got a gobby shepherd? Don't tell anyone. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, but yeah so in that scenario her walking lovely next to me nice smiley lead all that kind of stuff that's kind of her playing the drums she can do that quite comfortably really easy she's she's learned that that's absolutely fine all right show off i know yeah <laughs> the other dog is the spider to me mm-hmm. so how far away with it how close it comes how quickly it comes close to me uh-huh. the the size of the spider all of those things basically dictate how quickly that threshold gets reached for her and when she's no longer doing the lovely walking and she's doing the more impulsive reaction to oh my god i just need to get away from this thing so that for me whenever i talk threshold i always try and talk to the the difference between what over is and what under is generally Mm -hmm. and i usually use those type of analogies because let's say what create a threshold breach or reaching your threshold mm. again everyone has slightly different versions of that story that ends yeah, up just yeah. being a totally another kind of worms but so let's just tap on trigger stacking with thresholds because if you said the threshold was number 10 when we talk about trigger stacking, it could be something like there's been a delivery man at the door. So the dog has now got to level two. Just, then, just a warning. Mm, you're about to get onto one of my pet peeves. But carry on. And then we'll go in. No, no. 
crack on. No, no, chime no, no. I, I, no, carry on. I'm not carry on. Chime in, princess. No, trigger, trigger stacking is a valuable thing, but where I get slightly frustrated with trigger stacking <laughs> is it, when, it, when it starts to, you know, stack my own triggers. It, it's one of those things that we think is quite binary. And it also, in my opinion, always focuses on the negative triggers. Mm-hmm. And for your dog to go over threshold, mm-hmm. there is more than just negative triggers at play. Mm-hmm. And, and and even though it's a brilliant thing to, to help explain and, and describe kind of what might be going on in your dog, my personal experience is I kind of find it focuses people on the wrong stuff generally. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because when we start talking about trigger stack, it's like, right, remove all these stressful things and triggers out of their lives. My dog still reacts. It's like, yeah, because you know what? You keep launching a tennis world. ball across a field 15 yeah. times, which your dog absolutely loves and goes crazy for, and that excitement and adrenaline is probably just as bad as the postman knocking at the door in terms of bringing them up that kind of scale of that threshold. So, just to, just to calm your nerves... Let's carry on with a little story. So, general day, right? Let's we'll use Dodge as an example because we all know that Dodge is. Give him his proper title, please. <laughs> Which one? The polite one or the, the, the polite, the polite public one? Not, not the other one. Dodge is a typical adolescent male that's like a, a drunk 18-year-old in a pub at the moment. Um, that's the best way of explaining him most of the time. So let's just say that um, the postman's been, and obviously the chihuahuas have to kick off. So it's always the chihuahuas. I'm telling you this right now. So Dodge has already at number two. Then I start getting ready for work and he realises that, oh, she's putting on the trainer she wears to go training, so maybe we're going training. So that's another level. So now he's at number three. Then I start sorting the girls out and he's like, hey, hang on a minute. So now he's at number four. But then he sees his league come out and that's really exciting. And we have full dinosaur dramatics of having a harness put on and a lead and a staff. And honestly, I swear he talks whale. If anyone has watched Finding Dory, when they are talking to the whale, that is Dodge having a harness on, I swear. Like Hugo's exactly the same. He gets that excited. He starts doing this. They talk whale. Yes! Exactly that. It's like if a dinosaur and a whale had a baby, it's a German Shepherd. Um, (laughs) So now we're at five already. Now, bearing in mind, 10 is at the threshold. So we're already at five just because there was a postman and stuff and things in the world and oh my God, stuff. Now I open the door. So now we're at six because now there's anticipation as well. So that takes another thing away. So we're at six. So we've only got four left now. So we go out and I'm doing some training. So we're getting food. So we're staying at six. Six is cool. Now there's a little girl on a scooter on the other side of the road, squealing and making loud noises. So fast moving child making squealing noises. Now we might be at eight. Then we walk around the corner and there's a dog in the very, very, very distance. And it's walking away from us and it's a girl. So that's okay. 
but now we're at nine. Then the crazy gobby shih tzus come round the corner and scream at us. It's a true story. It's a thing. It happens in my world. This is not anti-shih tzu. It's just a fact. Because Dodge is already at nine, he is going to kick off royally because he hasn't got enough left. Now, a lot of people um, use the spoon analogy, which I actually really like. Um, I know they use it... Um, in people as well but i think it's a nice way to explain with dogs and I, i'm rightly saying it isn't always negative you have to understand that playing could be four spoons training could be three spoons hoopers for dodge last week we did a mega training session as competition prep i would argue we used all 10 spoons in that training session the last course he ran through the last course last hoop went to the van and asked to get in the van to go for a sleep. He was like, Mama, it's tired now. I did my runnings. I did good. You're happy. Can I sleep now? Thanks. It's tired. Like, all his spoons were done. Now, if all of a sudden an entire male dog had appeared around the corner, I'm pretty sure all hell would have broken loose. Because yeah. he was out of spoons. It's a... Uh... I, I love the I use um I tend to use a pan of water. That's kind of my analogy. Like oh, and a pan of water specifically on the hob. I know I love them. <laughs> um, but it's um but yeah, it is. It's such a true thing. And I think already I think what you started to touch on there was the other stuff that is a trigger or a, a spoon or whatever analogy we want to use that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like it's hoopers, about you love it, it's great. It's about yeah, coping absolutely. with arousal and frustration. Oh, God, here we go. Now how do we explain arousal to me? Well, that's air sorted for the uh, first episode. Of there the, we go. Uh, We've done air Right, Greg, what's arousal? <laughs> Are we still talking dog trainers? Um, hey. The... the uh, <laughs> but it's it, blushing. It, so, so, I wish they could see you. There was a blush there. <laughs> it's, it's the rum, honest. Or a shaving um, bash one. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'd, I'd be too lazy for that. Um, Mate, crack on. <laughs> are, are we opening that one? Are we, yeah, are we going down the arousal? Cool. Uh, so again, different, different thing. But arousal for me is anything that basically moves your dog out of their kind of what I call a neutral state. So anything that's mm -hmm. just where they're just chilled, normal, natural, milling around the house, not really excited, energetic, worried. None chill. of that. They're just perfectly chill, perfectly neutral. So arousal for me is any state of change of state, even um, away from that. That for me is what personally I constitute as arousal. It may be positive arousal. So it might be that excitement. It might be yeah. fun. It might be anticipation um, that kind of impulse element of something good's about to happen. And I'm getting a little bit kind of giddy about it, mm. or it might be the more slightly more negative emotions. So it might be anxious, worried, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of separation, stress, whatever it might be. So that for me is arousal. So basically just anything that influences my dog's emotional state away from them being mellow, chilled, neutral, relaxed, happy, content, and just kind of, as my two, touch wood, are at the minute just kind of asleep next to me, just mm -hmm. chilling out, not doing anything. If I knock on my desk, um, <laughs> please should, don't. Should we do it for a Please. test? No, don't do it. <laughs> 
To be fair, mine would... are all downstairs and the door is shut, so it's going to look worse for you than it's going to sound worse for you than it is for me. But yeah, but it is. It's it's just it's those things that just move my dog out of that relaxed, chill state. So I I personally consider that as arousal. One thing that I think a lot of people kind of you hear people throw out, oh, they're over aroused, which the kind of human definition of arousal generally takes people's brains to more of a sexual orientation. I have no idea what you're talking about. Shut up. Your mind was in the gutter. Don't even deny it. If you're listening and your mind is not in the gutter, then bless you. Um <laughs> But one of the main ones you see is like puppies that are overexcited, that are maybe feeling a bit anxious, that are over aroused, will often resort to a behavior of humping. And people straight away link the humping as sexual and arousal as sexual. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why you get a lot of, oh, they need to be spayed, they need to be neutered because they're overset. No, they're just playing. It's just practice. It's what it is. It's a way of the dog releasing some of that stress, some of that that over arousal is from a humping thing. And people, because we use the word arousal and then they see a behavior like humping, I think that kind of cements to people that arousal is always sexual and it's not. It is just above the base layer. If anything, you could actually describe over threshold as over arousal. I I personally much ah, prefer... That was like with a bow and neat and tight. Oh, yeah. It brought that right back on track. I personally prefer over threshold for that reason, mm. just to try and stop us kind of going down rabbit holes where and sniggering and sniggering yeah because as you can tell i'm really mature and i can uh, i can be, be very you know adult about such words um but no I, and i think that's why <laughs> threshold is such a good word that we use because it does kind of keep it more generic and i don't think we make these associations that we do when we use other words so i think yeah. that for me is why it is a good word and and like you say and i, and I think kind of going back to that over threshold mm-hmm. is like you say humping yeah definitely which when you see that mouthing the biting the jumping up. i was gonna it's, say with my guys it generally comes out as a mouthing thing with um munchkin when i used to attempt to do agility she would do three four pieces of equipment and then play bitey toys with mummy's arm which is not particularly great. So I just stopped doing agility with her because it was just, it was too arousing (laughs) for her. It was too exciting. And interesting, um, she's my, she's the one dog I don't do hoopers with. Right. Because she started doing hoops and barrels and was like, cool. And then we introduced the tunnel and she went, tunnel, agility, amazing. Ah, so now she just finds like it too much. And with her, it will start off with her barking And then if I don't stop and kind of calm her back down to more of a base neutral level, then it can turn into mouthing, jumping up, all that stuff. I remember when I first started running with her, I spent a long time, like I'd run maybe not even 10 meters and have to stop, wait for her to calm down and then run again because she'd be jumping up at me and if I'd carried on running 
it would have ended up her biting at the leads, grabbing at the lead, grabbing at me, grabbing clothing. So we just have to stop it. Do you know what? By me stopping, the fun stopped, the good stuff stopped. So she was like, oh, we're not going anywhere. No. So then I'd walk and then I'd sort of pick up the pace a bit. Then I'd jog. And if she carried on, then we'd just run. And then she was fine. Second she went to come back at me, I would just stop dead. Be a tree. How we teach the little ones. Be a tree when the dogs are jumping up and nipping. Do you know what? It worked. And by using... We're gonna. We're about to dip into the quadrant. This is leading us into the quadrant. Um, but by stopping the good stuff, it reduced the behaviour, and then I could reinforce her by carrying on running. So, you know, there there are people out there that would say, "Oh, you should have shouted at her when she did that," or "You should have disciplined her," or "You should have." I didn't need to, I just stopped because for her, stopping the running was like, oh. But also we had to look at why the behavior was happening because it wasn't just, she's biting me. It was, well, I'm trying to do running. She's becoming over aroused. She's getting over threshold. And that has become her jumping up and biting or lead grabbing, which is an undesirable behavior. So this leads us to the quadrant. Just before we dive into that, and yeah. I, I dare, I want to say, I think, Do it. you know, you're going into my memory banks here and they're not the greatest place oh in the world. God, we could be I a while, this is. on Nick Benja's podcast, and I forget who he interviewed. And just <laughs> touching stop. back on... <laughs> I know it's great, isn't it? Um, back on to that whole thing of what dogs do when they are over the threshold. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was one of his guests who talked to, and I don't think there was a lot of studies around this, but more of a personal observations by this person. And I think I dare tend to agree with it. Is those breed specific traits coming out a lot more yep. when over threshold happens? So yep. you know, sheps, for example, can be very barky and very vocal, as can picking on a few breeds, you know, Dachshunds, Mini Schnauzers, things like that. You know. Right, this is not meant. I have a theory. Here we go. I'm going to dive in with my little theory of non-scientific fact. German dogs like shouting. <laughs> I have a theory that, that dogs bred in Germany like shouting because... Every single one of those breeds you just mentioned is German. Are all German, yes. I'm not opening that geographical can of worms. And I, this, this is nothing against Germany, nothing against German dogs, but German dogs like shouting, I have a theory. Anywho. Um, but yeah, but again, <laughs> but then when you look at bull breeds, and again, the the you know, the mouth, the bitey action, it, it's a very natural thing for them to go to. And I think back to that the thing parts turned off and that more instinctive, natural, impulsive stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. I think that is very, very common where you see those, you know, let's 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 pick on a beagle. There you go. They're not German. Um <laughs> says, confidently and then suddenly panic and thinking there might be. Um, but you know, a similar kind of thing, a very vocal dog who when they are over threshold, when they are excitable, over aroused, whatever mm-hmm. label we want to put on it, 
again, that behavior comes out. So as dog trainers, when we have those initial conversations with people where they're saying, I have a dog and whenever we're doing X, Y, or Z, like you run in, uh-huh. my dog starts to do this, you know, mouthing, jumping, redirecting on the lead, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I can almost start to picture a bit of a short list of potential breeds if I don't know yeah, that yeah, already. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing people, when you're, if you are in a position where you're kind of looking for the right dog to fit your lifestyle in your house, if you're in that position where you can make that informed choice, I think that's something that we often overlook. We look at all the breed specific traits that we like that might fit our house. I think it's very easy to overlook those breed specific traits where if that dog does go over threshold, the things that they might be more kind of predisposition to do that may actually go really against kind of what we do. Um, So yeah, that was just my little nugget in there and I'm sure it's Nick. And And like, and talking about kind of breed stuff, that's one of the reasons why, um, in a lot of the episodes of Hooper's World, the podcast, um, when I've been interviewing other trainers, I've been talking to them about the breed they have. And we've spoken about the plus points, but we have actually done a bit more of a focus on the negatives of that breed. Because the thing is, when you love a breed, you will either tell everybody why they need one, or you tell everyone why they don't want one. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell everyone why they need a Chihuahua and everyone why they don't need a Shepherd. Like it really does depend on the breed. Um. Also, whether you don't mind living with the trip hazard, because yeah. Um. But I think I've got that, two next to me right now. I do think though that we do need to kind of be mindful of what dogs are bred for, what their predisposition. Like my terrier. If he became over threshold, he would want to grab something and shake it and kill it. Because that's what he had been bred to do. <laughs> yeah. There's that weird kind of hard wiring thing that just takes over that isn't their fault. It's usually very inconvenient to us in a behavior that we're not a fan of, but it's very impulsive and instinctive to them. And that's where I think probably for a lot of trainers, that's where it, it usually that's when the phone starts to ring because the dog is doing something that it is probably quite hardwired to do. And because we're not managing that threshold appropriately, dogs Mm -hmm. flipping over it on a regular basis, all of that natural behavior is coming out, which isn't in keeping with ultimately what we want for a nice kind of low stress, harmonious life. Um, And I think that's why that threshold word is so popular with us because I think that is usually one of our first things we look at is what's going on, what are our our triggers, our antecedents, whatever other words. A, there's another A for the A. Oh, there we go. We've got another A. That's an ABC right there. Make a note of that. We will do an ABC next episode. We will do this now. I think it's going to be a thing. It's um, But, yeah, so and I, and I think that's why threshold was such a great word to kind of focus on for, for this because it just bridges so many aspects of dog training dog behavior dog sport all the things that we kind of get involved with it's that one thing that's always in the back of our minds as we're watching dogs and we're doing our observations of trying to gauge where are they on that that threshold ladder and how close are they to to, you know popping off the top of it because we know that's when stuff goes south pretty quick 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So now we've completely interrupted my beautiful segue. Can we talk about thank the quadrant? <laughs> yes. That's Q. Because I'd like I'd lined it up. It was there. It was so beautifully. And then Greg went, I got a minute. I, I, I couldn't let you take that. I'm, I'm sorry, but that was just far. That was almost like it was scripted. Um, and that's not what we do. So <laughs> <laughs> I just had to derail you a little bit. More. I set it out beautifully. I was ready. I was going for it. And you just, nope. Wow. Harsh. Denied. So, so quadrants. Or the quadrant, I should say. Quadrant. Yeah, don't pluralise it. It's uh, There's another pet peeve. Yeah. That M- Mr. Alan Freeman of IMDT, love Mr. Alan, shout out to Mr. Alan, um, actually did correct me on that the other week because it just, you go to say quadrants as a plural, but it's not. It is the quadrant. There are only <laughs> yeah. four sections of it. Um, this causes a whole load of just, uh, I, I say, almost want to avoid it. New trainers, like I can remember starting my training journey and seeing this diagram of a square with four sections, and just going, "Oh, we're about to talk science." <laughs> so this is the public service announcement. We're about to get geeky. We're about to talk science, and we are about to tackle. The quadrant. Uh, can I, uh, while, oh, while I'm on the pave run, but it's it's a massive part of dog training, but it's a massive part amongst lots of other massive parts. And the reason <laughs> that I, I love and hate the quadrant is because in the dog trainer world, we get a bit obsessed about it. And in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot more things that we should be getting obsessed about, not the quadrant. So... I am a, a glass of rum deep now, so apologies for this. But yeah, oh. anyway, carry on. So the quadrant. I can't believe you just said that on an actual podcast that trainers might listen to. The trainers sometimes become obsessive about a concept. Oh my god, it's a thing, people. It's a thing. So <coughs> look, you made me cough now. Um Oh, of those old cobwebs I feel the, uh, I feel like we need to like buckle in because it's about to get rocky. Like this is how I feel when we're talking about this. Um it's like a blood backpool fairground ride. So yeah, a little bit. So with with the quadrant, there are obviously four sections, and we're gonna let's talk about the science first. So when we say positive. It means we are adding something. And when we say negative, it means that we are removing something. These are the scientific explanations, okay? So positive It's the mathematical approach rather than the English approach. Dude, don't interrupt the thought pattern. I'm doing science here. So where was I? Look, you've broken me now. I was in there. You, you, you were talking about positive being adding in the mathematical sense of addition. All right. And negative being removing. Right, I'm like starting the mathematical to sense not that maybe I'm just going to sack this off now and we'll never talk of this again, ever. Right, okay, so positive is adding, sure. negative is taking away. Now, when we talk about reinforcement, reinforcement causes a behaviour to increase. 
correct? Greg's looking at me blankly. I feel we should have done this before the rum was consumed because I'm I'm not sure. I I don't want to interrupt you. I just don't want to interrupt you. Punishment is the behaviour being reduced. Now, straight away, before we even get into the science of it, as soon as people hear punishment, they instantly assume that it is something bad or horrible or nasty. And it's not always. Sometimes it is, and we're going to talk about that because that is the definition of one of our little quarters of the quadrant. But when we're looking at it from the science point of view, because science, positive is adding, negative is removing. Reinforcement means the behavior increases and punishment means the behavior decreases or stops. Are we both in agreement? 100%. Marvellous. Good. I hope everyone has followed that because this is where it gets very confuddling and I get confused. So when we talk about positive reinforcement, um, the training that myself and Greg do, we try and stay within the positive reinforcement square as much as we can. But there is a real myth that reinforcement trainers are purely positive. We are what is deemed in the American term as cookie pushers, which means we just shove food in the dog's mouth for everything. This is not true. This is a misconception. It is not a thing. You cannot train purely positive. You can aim for Errorless learning, I am not going down that rabbit hole today. That will be for another episode. Make a note of it. Um, But we can aim to set the dogs up for success so that we can reinforce the desired behavior. So positive reinforcement, we'll talk, let's talk loose leaf walking because most people understand if you're listening in America, loose leash walking, um, basically the dog walking without pulling. That's that's the goal. So if the dog is walking and the lead is loose, the dog is not pulling, we can mark the behavior and we can reinforce this by giving them food or playing with a toy or stroking them, something that the dog finds reinforcing. Pencil reinforcement, because that's a whole nother thing for another thing in a minute. Now, sometimes we dip into the other sides of the quadrant. So we aim to we aim to be cookie pushers as much as possible because we like that. And we like setting the dogs up for success and we like the dogs being reinforced for the good choices. Sometimes we dip into negative punishment So a good example of that is if the dog is pulling, we stop. So my example of Munch, if she went to jump up and grab at my arm, I would just stop. We would not move. Nothing would happen. So we delay the good stuff to decrease the behavior. So as positive reinforcement trainers, 
Force free trainers. Again, we will get into those labels in another thing because otherwise this is going to be a 20-hour episode. We will go into trainer labels. We might do it this episode, but we'll see how long this takes because at the moment the quadrant's taking about an hour. So that's where we try and stick. We try and stick with either the plus R's or the minus P's. Mr. Greg, would you like to add any things or examples to what I'm saying so far? Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think you've done a, um, a cracking job uh, explaining that. But no, it, it really is true because it's it, the the bit for me is is whenever you're talking quadrants, it's it, it is an emotive topic. It gets because of that distinction between punishment and reward and negative and positive. It, it it's a minefield. It's super confusing, and we do tend to hyper-focus on the extreme examples of any part uh-huh. of that quadrant. And and I think that's where it gets a little bit muddy and a little bit, uh, you know, back in that heated debate topic. But no, yeah. it is. For, for me, positive reinforcement, it, for me, it's exactly what I work off as mm-hmm. a human being. This isn't this isn't a, a behaviour thing that is unique to dogs. It, it's unique to pretty much most mammals on the planet, including us humans. Mm-hmm. I do stuff and I will do stuff more if I like it and I get something out of it. Yeah. And, and that is ultimately for me exactly how I want my dogs to do it. Cause if they get something out of it that they like, the chances are they're going to willingly and want to do it again. And that is the right kind of attitude and mindset that I ultimately want my dogs to be in, which is why that type of training for me is definitely the one I want to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Let's look at the uh, the other two that we we try not to delve into. Sometimes things happen. Every dog is different. Every team is different. But we will always aim to train without using pain or fear to motivate a dog's behavior. So positive punishment, which is technically adding bad stuff to decrease a behavior. So from the loosely walking perspective, that would be giving a, now I don't like the word correction because it's, it upsets me when you see people um, yank on the lead or pull the dog back or pull the dog and shout at them or generally kind of getting, sort of angry with the dog now there are occasions i'm about to say this on a podcast and i may get lynched there are times where i shout i'm loud anyway if you haven't discovered this yet if you haven't worked this out like you have this been is listening. breaking news to me <laughs> i'm calling bs so With Dodge, my shepherd, if he is doing something that could potentially be dangerous or could potentially get him in trouble and I need to stop that behaviour, I may shout at him. Now, generally, if I use the term shepherd, it means he needs to listen now immediately. Now, I deliberately try not to use his name because shepherd means listen now When he does listen, then that gives me an opportunity to reinforce him for listening, coming back. But initially, I am punishing and I'm adding a vocal. So that is positive punishment. 
Oh my god, I've just gone on a podcast and said I used positive punishment with my dog. I'm going to get killed. Now, I say it like that because there are some trainers that as soon as they hear positive punishment, they assume you are using something like a prong collar or a shock collar or some other type of hideous device um, in the name of training. Personally, I do not believe that's training. I just think you're being lazy and need to learn how to use science properly. But the other the other side of it, and this is where we try to not dip a toe, is the negative reinforcement. Because negative reinforcement is where you are delaying bad stuff to increase the behavior. And this is where training can very easily border on using fear or pain to motivate an animal and that's not okay 100% agree there I said it (laughs) I said it I said it so um the definition with the example of the loose sleep walking is you are delaying um a leash pop or a shock or the prong um, being used until the dog pulls again. So basically you are setting the dog up to fail so that you can punish them to reduce the behavior. Now, straight away, that type of training, you're focusing on the negative. You are waiting for that dog to screw up so that you can punish that behavior. I'd much prefer to get the dog to do something right and reinforce it. It's just a happier way of being in the world. Really is. And it's it's really, uh, I might dive off into the whole social elements of this, but it's, uh, it really is. Cause this is the whole thing. When I got into dog training um, in a more professional capacity, (laughs) I grew up, I grew up in a... All right, all right. Are you laughing at the fact that I consider myself a professional? No, it's the fact that you just said professionally. Because, so just quickly, for those of you that haven't heard um, the episode I did with Greg on the Wolf Porson podcast, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. But I said to Greg, oh, it's carry-on professionally. And now I'm forever known as carry-on professionally, which is just rude because my mates call me Carrie. So... It's why Greg calls me carry on professionally. <laughs> it's it's what you asked me to address you as, and I'm whatever, just adhering by your wishes. Anyway, crack yeah, on what you were saying. What were you saying anyway? <laughs> uh, you've 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 derailed me now. You've got me back. Uh, no, it's it, it, it's it's that thing. I I grew up in the eighties. You know, there was an element of, I think, what I would again, good old labels, but what I would probably label as more traditional training. Yep. Stuff that happened, you know, right back in 50s, 60s, 70s, in the 80s, where there was this very I'm boss, you should do what I say type mm. attitude to working with and living and training our dog. Yep, definitely. Which I think where it gets very diff- where it gets very difficult for people, and, and what I mean by people is those who aren't doing this as a professional career and people mm. who just have pet dogs and, and want to help train and educate them is all of these parts of the quadrant work yeah 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 yeah. 100 percent. and when 
And but whether we like it or not, that's just fact. So this can create a lot of confusion for a lot of people when they go to different dog trainers, different groups, different videos online, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and they start to see these very different styles and different techniques to mm-hmm. deal with what could be considered the same thing. So that leash pulling, lead pulling example that you did there, mm-hmm. Carrie, is how you and I would deal with it may be very different to some other trainers out there who people may have access to. And it's, that's just confusing. Like, yeah. And it's a very, it's a high, you know, if I look at, go right back to what we mentioned before about kind of generally the reason a lot of people will come to us provide taking out the ones who are doing it because they're being prepared and they've got a new puppy or a new dog and they want to just set off on the right foot. The ones who come with a, an issue that they want support overcoming the, where it gets very complicated is they more, and I'm generalizing massively here, but most people come with a very fixed orientated mentality. My Mm -hmm. dog does a thing that I don't like. I don't want them to do that thing anymore. Therefore I need some help to stop it and to fix it and get over it in a world that we live in now where everything is on tap and there's solutions pretty much for everything out of a box at a touch of a button. Yep. It's very, yeah, it's really hard not to approach dealing with a problem that you may have with your dog's behavior in a very similar mindset. Yeah. And we kind of forget that they are living creatures with cognitive abilities, you know, emotional states, and they aren't a car or a boiler or something that goes wrong. And I pick up the phone, speak to the first person, they pop out, swap a few parts around and we're good to go. And you've got a perfect dog again. And I think this is where it gets very, very difficult because you are in a frustrated state. So using your analogy there with Dodge, um, I'm, I'm known as Mr. Grumpy in my house. Because I love to have little childish I mean, tantrums men in general, Greg, of a silly thing. I'm the king of getting hungry. So I will get frustrated with stuff that has nothing to do with my dogs, but my demeanor and attitude change absolutely affects them. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not directed at them in the slightest, it's directed at the fact I've burnt my toast. They pick up on that and they do find that punishing, even though it's not directed at them at all, just my attitude and demeanor is. However, if that is because of something they've done and I'm mm-hmm. pissed off about it, it's it's kind of this perpetual cycle that a lot of people find themselves in. And I think this is where the quadrant thing gets really confusing and really hard for people because mm. if you're going down the route of your dog is doing something wrong, therefore you need to do something and add something into that equation to... Mm-hmm change the outcome i'm deliberately trying to stay away from the c word that you don't like no. um, you know like a squirty water bottle or a plastic bottle full of stones or whatever the hideous type of thing out there that you might want to use i'm not in the right frame of mind to be using any of that type of tool mm-hmm. you know because if i'm already annoyed at the situation that i'm in with my dog mm-hmm. and then i get something that i can use with real kind of vigor because I'm annoyed and frustrated. That's not a good mindset to be in. That's like me, probably an extreme example, but back in corporal punishment days of schooling, that's like me 
wrapping rulers over a kid's knuckles because they can't do the times table right and keep racking them over the knuckles harder and harder and harder until they do it right the chances of them dealing with that and getting it right are pretty slim yeah, most yeah, people yeah. really struggle with that pressure that we're applying to the situation so going off i feel like i'm waffling here but no, that's kind of where it does get a little bit confusing and difficult and then when you throw into the mix, the fact, as you mentioned earlier, us trainers love to get on our soapboxes about the quadrants as well. Mm-hmm. The quadrant. Um, it is, it's just this really confusing, difficult situation that we find ourselves in where people are looking for help and support. Mm-hmm. We're having a little internal debate around the right ways and the wrong ways and the different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. And there's still people on the fringe here going, I still kind of need some help with my dog. And I'm ultimately going to get the first one that people will perceive gives the fix and gives the result. And dare I say, and this might be very controversial. Do it. Dare I say, most people will see a quicker result with positive punishment than positive reward based. So I was going to say that people find using punishment reinforcing the yeah. punisher for, and i'm not talking the cool cartoon cartoony yeah cool I'm, I'm not going TV. there we're, <laughs> we're not on netflix now but if you are frustrated or cross or whatever and you if i use the example of shouting because that's probably going to be for some dogs, like some dogs would completely crumble if they like, if I raise my voice at munch, I just have to go munchkin. And she's like, Oh my God, I got full name. Jeez. Oh my days. Whereas like Dodge, if he hears shepherd, he's like, Oh, suppose I have to listen to her now. Um, If I've gone raw and that behavior stopped, it's reinforcing for me to go raw because the behavior stops. <laughs> but the, the other thing as well is that there's almost that going back to the threshold element. Mm-hmm. One of the things we didn't touch on, which is definitely one for the future is kind of getting back down your threshold and calming back down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I'm annoyed and frustrated, a release for me whether Mm -hmm. it's shouting, whether it's throwing my toys out my pram, whether it's throwing the spanner because I'm working on my bike in the garage across the garage. So any of that outlet that I find makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. Just instantly, regardless of the result. Like Mm -hmm. even if me throwing the spanner across the garage means I've lost my spanner and I've now got something else to be really annoyed about. (laughs) That little split second when I have my little ape-like tantrum in the garage I get a buzz and a reward because it gives me that release and just brings me back down a notch or two. And again, you're absolutely right. So when we're doing this with our dogs and we're like, I get a little endorphin release because I've been able to kind of get out some of that frustration Mm -hmm. out of my system. And also it's coupled with my dog potentially doing the thing less or even stopping it altogether. Mm -hmm it can very quickly lure you into a false sense of security that you're doing something very effective. Yeah. The problem I have with it is usually twofold. One is the sustainability. 
of that. So quite often the, the behaviour is... is actually suppressed rather than yeah. changed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where that sustainability thing becomes a problem mm-hmm. because it's either just going to kind of using that water flowing through the ground thing, it will find a way somewhere. It mm-hmm. may not be the original route, but it'll definitely come out somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and the other bit as well is, that's not, for me, a relationship that I want with my dog. No. I, I love them a bit. I I do, and probably going to sound a bit preachy here, but I, it's an, I really genuinely think it's a privilege that I have these in my house and that they share their life with me. Yeah. And because of that, I kind of feel I owe them something. And that, for me, is to give them the best life possible. And I've not met, hand on heart, I've not met anybody that I've ever worked with who has any ill intention with their dog. And I think, again, this is that other problem that the quadrant kind of throws in is because people want an easier, more compatible, harmonious relationship with their dog, Mm -hmm. less of the problematic behavior, and but they love their dog and they want to do the best by their dog. And then we tell them to do stuff that may be unsavory, which is never, ever going to help your relationship with that dog and you mm-hmm. end up in this real Jekyll and Heidi type relationship where for me it's not based on the things that we ultimately set out with yeah we want love affection trust confidence you know all those teamwork yeah all those things that make any relationship in life a success yeah and then we suddenly start to get in this weird dynamic of I love you but I'm going to squirt water at you or I love you, but I'm going to shout at you or I love you, but I'm going to yank you on your lead. And that for me, it's like any good old analogies, any turn of that, if I put that context in a human world, like anyone I would speak to would say, you're a nutcase. Like, but you're breaking trust. (laughs) The problem when, when we look at using positive reinforcement it's about building trust, building confidence, setting the dog up for success, um, pushing cookies. <laughs> but when we look at using punishment and setting the dog up to fail and being the boss and all the rest of it, you end up building a relationship where the dog doesn't trust you. Because the dog, if you are setting your dog up to fail, that is, that's not a relationship of trust. And we, we understand that the quadrant is about learning. So it can apply to people, to dogs, horses. Um, one of the things that I think I found quite interesting is um, like using pressure, um, using like pressure release systems. When we look at horses, um, anyone that's listening that's horsey, like think of a head collar on a horse or using reins. Even when you're riding a horse, you use leg pressure to move the horse. Now, is there a better way of horse training? Yes, and it's happening and it is progressing. But there, there are times where, and I had this personally with Dodgers, you know, when I was talking about using a head collar on him, there were trainers that, looked at me like I'd grown another head and I just aligned myself with all the demons from hell and was going to do the most barbaric thing possible to my dog 
rather than saying to me, okay, understand why you feel you need to do that. Can I help you with an alternative? There were trainers that straight away went, oh, my God, that's horrendous. I can't believe you're putting a hair collar on your dog. That is not a way to build bridges. That is not a way to change people's minds on how different methods are working. If you vilify someone for doing what they believe is the right thing and the best thing for that animal, then we're not going to change how training happens. We just end up causing more divide and splitting it into groups of, well, you do this and you do that. And it should just be making dogs' life better in the most ethical way possible without using fear or pain. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And, and I think that, that whole dichotomy of, of back to what you said about, you know, being purely positive isn't a thing and totally agree. Mm -hmm. And and even that, like, instantly this this desire that we, we can often find ourselves in the professional world of latching on to a particular quadrant mm -hmm. uh, or part of the quadrant and yep. that becoming the the everything yeah is where for me i have that real issue with it because in that example with a head collar for example i have head collars for my chefs mm -hmm. i i don't use them however my wife who has a condition which limits her strength in her wrists and her arms mm -hmm. it's a safety thing for her Yep. So we the the, the well-trained, the conditioned, all that good stuff. But for her, if she wants to walk them, she needs the head collar on there because if there was an event, uh -huh. she hasn't got the physical kind of attributes to deal uh -huh. with that with a nearly 40-kilo Shep. Yep. So that is a completely different dynamic yeah. that we have to manage and deal with and support and help with and all that kind of stuff which is, in a nice way, it's kind of got nothing to do with learning. This is uh, just about a dog in human society yeah. that we've got safety issues we need to think about. Yeah. And it, I dare say I would be doing any client a disservice if I didn't deal with that. If they had a problem of mobility or balance or strength or anything like that, and they had a big pulley dog, the first thing I've got to do is make it safe. Yeah. And I don't want to use any equipment that's going to be, like you say, fear or intimidating or painful. Mm -hmm. However, there is a very fringe element of stuff where I think very short term, introduced correctly, mm -hmm. conditioned properly, can help this person, help this dog and make everyone around them safer whilst we do the learning. And then we can eradicate it out later down the line or whatever we need to do. Mm -hmm. And that for me, ethically, is a much better way to support that person and that dog yeah. than just ruling it out completely and saying you can never walk your dog ever until they've learned everything perfectly and then yeah. you can go back out in the real world because yeah. it's just not it's not life and i think this is where it does get very disheartening i think for for a lot yeah. of people who are looking for services from people and some of those extremes of the the, the you know that desire to operate purely in one part of the quadrant mm -hmm. can become really off-putting for people because it's yeah, like yeah. well i've got a problem i need a fix and yeah. all the stuff you're telling me isn't actually helping me in the immediate now it's yeah. this dare i say this longer term 
almost harder work because let's yeah. be honest, setting up for success, all that stuff, it takes time, it takes planning, yeah, yeah, it takes yeah, yeah, yeah. a different mindset than just reacting to a situation. And I, and I think that's where that dichotomy always comes back to. And I think this is why a lot of the positive reinforcement trainers get very upset, frustrated, and I might even throw another one out there of envious and jealous of very successful trainers who use the other methods that we don't advocate mm-hmm. because that's kind of the problem is well let, let's say the let's say the label that they that's generally used which is balance because balance gives people the the opinion that because they are using all the sections that that is the most balanced way of training now i feel that we have explained why we try not to use punishment as in causing harm or pain or coercion to motivate a dog but a true a true reinforcement trainer understands that you are going to occasionally delve into the other four corners the other three corners so actually that's more balanced than a trainer that's going to be sticking in the the punish into that um ah, I'm getting confused in the positive <laughs> punishment section but calling themselves balanced. Yeah. And it, it's it, it's it's why that quadrant is just such a nightmare for it's incredibly because... valid and it's valuable and it informs as you say learning and it's uh-huh. something we have to be mindful of. Yeah. But starting these rhetorics about the right versus the wrong and the good versus the bad and these very polarizing views, uh-huh. for me, ultimately doesn't help the, the people who need to understand it. No. Because we're just arguing amongst ourselves about a topic that is, again, it's only one piece in a very big puzzle. And we do get a little bit full on with it yeah yeah no massively and I think just kind of a good people example of kind of using reinforcement or using positive punishment so I know obviously you kind of use the example of back back in the olden days before before we were young'uns when our parents were young'uns and they used to be beaten at school and stuff now obviously you know we don't beat children anymore because guess what? We've discovered that it's not the best way of teaching them. But even going back to school, I can remember um, I always struggled with maths. Maths is just not my strong point. It's not the way my brain is wired. I can do basic sums and stuff, but when you start getting into adding pies and letters and like, what? I just, I don't understand. Like It just confused me and I struggle with it. Now, the maths teacher I had in year nine, like third year senior school, oh my God, he was terrifying. And I can remember we had him, we had him as a substitute teacher in year seven, like so my first year at school when I was like brand new to the school. And we did this thing at Christmas where you could post your your letters in the post box and then they would be taken around to the other classes to your mates and blah 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 and 
someone had written me a Christmas card. I had thought it had gone in the bin. It obviously hadn't gone in the bin. And this teacher had found an envelope with my name and form on it. So it's very obvious who it was meant for and who would drop the litter. And they called me out in an assembly. Nice. Whole school knew that I had dropped the litter. And then I had that teacher in... Now, did I drop litter again? No. No, I didn't. Never, ever. In fact, you know, I think it's why I don't like Christmas cards because I've now got a real negative association with Christmas cards. But when he then became my maths teacher, I found it really hard to learn in his class. So now we're back to the thresholds because I found him scary, intimidating. And when you got something right, nothing was said. But if you got something wrong, everybody knew about it. So that's that punishment, yeah, that positive yeah. punishment being used. Flip side, art teacher. Loveliest bloody person in the world. Like, I loved art. I was good at art. I got praised at art. And art's one of those subjects that you find the teachers are very encouraging and they try and support you. And even if your your port your self-portrait was a stick man, they will still try and like tell you that you've tried your best and it's an abstract piece and they will find a genre that your scribble falls into that someone will go, okay, that might be all right. I excelled and I ended up actually doing photography at A-level because I'd had a high history of reinforcement doing arty stuff and yeah, sports yeah. stuff because I was good at that stuff. Science and maths, the irony that I'm now getting really scientifical and I was rubbish at science. Scientifical. Um, Sheldon <laughs> Cooper. How are you at English? Learning. <laughs> But because I struggled with those subjects and was kind of in that generation where teachers corrected you for being wrong, but didn't really praise you when you were doing right, when you struggled with a subject, it became really, really negative to be in those subjects. And, and I think back to that whole behaviour suppression thing you talked about before, mm. you then get that avoidance as well. Because yeah. I, I, I had teachers like that. And you find yourself doing everything you can to avoid being in the limelight, to avoid even attending class, to, you know, copying homework just so you can be right and not worry about the, the you know, the fallout or the consequences. Yeah. And that isn't natural behavior now. This is me doing stuff to avoid a, a thing I don't like. And I can't relax. I'm not calm. I'm not any of these nice feelings. Whereas, like you say, in the art scenario, actually, you can relax, you can be yourself, you'll explore Music. stuff. You, yeah. And, and it all it does, it, this is universal, as you say. So mm. that's for me, again, it's just right back to that, what type of emotion do I want to invoke in my dog? When I walk in a room, do I want them to go, oh, dad's here, or do I want them to go, oh, shit, dad's here? And mm -hmm. it's like, I definitely want the first one. I don't want them <gasps> thinking, what mood's he in? You know, is, is he throwing spanners across the garage again or is he, 
you know, pushing cookies in my face, which one is it? Yeah. I don't want them living in that perpetual hiatus of kind of what Jekyll or Hyde have I got? I actually just want them to know, do you know what? I love being around dad. I love doing all the stuff that we do together. And the other great thing I love about it is when we're working in that kind of positive reinforcement spectrum, mm. I've got bigger room for error. <laughs> let's yeah. be honest. Because yeah, if I yeah, miss yeah. time a mark or miss time a reward, it ain't the end of the world. Yeah. If I miss time um, uh, a you shock, know, an, an aversive element, mm. yeah, that can be quite catastrophic and communicate something completely different to my dog than what I intended. Mm-hmm. And I'm not good enough to, to do that. And one of the biggest things you hear in that um, kind of positive punishment world is, you know, some of the tools and the things that they use are all right when they're used properly. And it's like, that's most of us, anyone in the world with any skill or profession, but not most people. And using something properly, that is a very, very weak excuse to, to yeah, then say yeah, go yeah, and use massively. it. In the same way, very, very strange analogy, but if you've ever been to one of those country fairs where there's usually somebody with a chainsaw carving these beautiful sculptures, We've got an owl. You know, I have an owl at home. Called Hedwig. Of course, it's called Hedwig. Where else would you call an owl? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> if I give you a chainsaw and a bloody great big log curry, could you carve Hedwig? I'm not going to lie. I was actually set loose with the chainsaw on a sick the other week in the garden. And I felt like I needed adult supervision and I barely cut the right limb off the tree at the time. Like, it was tetchy, so. And and that's the bit, isn't it, for me? Because it's like, if you have a tool like that where used correctly can be very impressive, do all the things it's designed to do, create beautiful artwork if you're that way inclined, but give it to 99% of people without supervision and we're going to be on an episode of Casualty or just you know, making a mess of stuff. And and again, that for me, when anybody's learning anything new with their dog, that such finite room for error mm-hmm. isn't consumable for the masses. And it's another reason why I'm like, it's just, it's riddled with potential risks and issues that it's just not worth doing when there's a much fun, better, more enjoyable way to work with your dog in that quadrant mentality um, which, yeah, why wouldn't you want it? Why wouldn't you get, I just, I really struggle with why isn't that just the obvious answer? And every other one brings me back to, dare I say, things around ego and belief systems and all that kind of stuff, which yeah. is something for a whole other podcast because I'm very No, no, that's cool. So I've, I've just looked up because I wanted to quote um, Dot Dunbar because. Dr. Ian Dunbar is a little bit of like the godfather of clicker training. Like we have all at some point either learned directly or indirectly from Dr. Dunbar because he's epic. And it's just on his, um, it's just on a blog post um, from a seminar he did. And when um, Ian Dunbar chooses to look at punishment, um, He basically says that you need a good understanding of training and timing 
And the thing is, if you can't click a clicker or say yes at the correct time, you sure as hell should not be using a physical correction or something that's going to cause pain to a dog. Because as you say, if I say yes and give Dodge a piece of ham at the wrong time, it might just mean that I've now taught him to lift his left leg instead of his right leg. And I've now got to spend the next five minutes reinforcing the leg I wanted to originally and not the one I accidentally clicked. If you're using punishment, the dog can easily pair that negative with something else in the world or the environment. And when, um, when Dunbar talks about um, punishment, he says that when we look at things that are punishing or are supposed to be punishing, we can ask two questions. Is it punishing, e.g., does it reduce the behavior's frequency, or is it painful or scary? And from here, there is four scenarios. So punishment that is painful or scary and changes behavior is effective, but it's, it's undesirable. That is, it's not our desire to hurt or scare a dog. We don't, we don't want to do that. So punishment that is painful or scary but doesn't change behavior is abusive. A really good example of this is spray collars. So the argument would be if the dog did the undesired behavior, it got sprayed once and then that dog never, ever, 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 ever did that behavior ever again. So therefore was never sprayed again. That would be really highly effective. If the dog is getting sprayed repeatedly and the behavior is still carrying on, you're just being a dick to your dog. I'm, I'm putting out there, that's not done by, that is a direct quote from Carrie Ann Selwyn. Don't be a dick to your dog, okay? Now, punishment that's not painful or scary, but also doesn't change the behavior, is just nagging. We've all been nagged. We've all had a parent or an elder, my husband will argue, a wife that nags. <laughs> Greg's staying very quiet on that. <laughs> and then you have punishment. I'm just pointing at someone on the screen. <laughs> but then you have punishment that is not painful, it's not scary, but it is effective, it is desirable. And this is where Dunbar works. And this is where we like to work. So as long as you're not being scary and you're not hurting the dog and you are reducing the behavior, that's effective punishment. If you're scaring the dog, if you're not reducing the behavior, or if you're not scaring the dog but the behavior hasn't been reduced, that's not an effective use of punishment. That's either you being vile being a dick or just nagging and you don't want to do either of the, any of those things so says Carrie Ann Selwyn and I think when it's <clears throat> but when it's put like that it's true isn't it and it, it just and I think again back to 
the relationship people want with their dog. Mm. I've yet to come across anybody who defies that. Everybody wants, you know, they love their dog. It's why they've got them, why they're in the family, why they spend all the money on them. It's because they love them. So it can, it's, it is the natural go-to option I think most people want. Mm. It's only when that frustration and that route for a result starts to just deviate them a little bit away from kind of where their true intention is. And I think as long as we educate and share information that helps people understand that, that for me is a much more effective use of talking about the quadrant than any other, Um, Mm. because everything else, it's just, it's debate for debate's sake almost. It's just drama. It's just the drama. (laughs) We love drama though. A little bit, yeah. Dog, tra- dog trainers do love a bit of drama, I have to say. It's especially us positive lot. It it can all get very dramatic in the in the set. So, Greg, are we going to carry on, or are we going to call? Have we done enough of a deep dive on thresholds and quadrants that uh, everyone's brain is now melted, and we need to leave this for another I, episode? What do you reckon? I reckon, I think people are probably a bit fried by now. I think... <laughs> I am. Even... My brain's like, I did science. <laughs> the, the, mad, the mad thing is, is, we can delve back into those topics time and time again and oh. still cover new stuff. The, um, the bit for me, if, if we do want to carry this on, um, is that whole reinforcement thing. Because that's just a, a world in itself that, again often gets misconstrued as the cookie pusher thing and is actually so much more than that. And so if we do this thesaurus stuff anymore... Let's um, do it! We, this, this is the we decide pilot! To... Let's do it! We've invented a thing! <laughs> well, um, yeah, so whether we do it in alphabetical order or whether we just work through random Mate, letters of the alphabet... We are beyond the alphabet now. We've, we, I mean, we managed to get a couple of A's in, but we technically started at T, so... yeah. And then went to Q. At least Q's done. That, you know, that's that's a hard one. Mate, line. do you know what I mean? Uh, what are we doing off. for Z? We need to start thinking about that one. I'm just gonna say, um, I'm I can't even. X, but, right. Yeah. <laughs> that that's a, that's enough. Problem that for that can be day. the later part of the series. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly oh my god, is. that was a proper cackle. Where did that? That it's was a, a proper cackle that came out. So, um, yeah, this this is a thing. This is the pilot. Oh. I think it's a good crossover episode, and I think we should um, actually make this the um, the woofing possum hoopers world trainers thesaurus. We'll think of a better title. Yeah. That, that, I, that might be I feel that Greg's had too much yeah, rum to even be. attempt that title now, so maybe we'll uh, we'll shorten it. I, I, I was trying to see what the acronym of that would be, but my brain couldn't compute it at this time of the evening. Um, <laughs> so, but yes, we, we will be back with a better name for it than, than, than whatever that was. Definitely, definitely. So, guys, um, catch us on the next episode. Um, it will be out where all things happen. Um, if you enjoyed it, like let us know um, what you thought of the trainers thesaurus. And um, if you want to listen to more of me, 
Canine Hoops World, the podcast. We are all over the social medias. Um, if you want to know more about my ridiculous shepherd, he's on Instagram at Dodge Shepherd. And Greg, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, obviously here, the Wuffin Parson podcast uh, on all good podcast outlets. Um, or you can find me at greatpaws.co.uk and on social media. Main ones are Facebook and Instagram where I'm at greatpawsne. Cool. Um, are you going to help me do my outro? Because you must know it by now. Right. So first, oh, right now you put me on the spot. On. So stay safe. Be kind. Stay safe. Be kind. Wash your hands. Wash your hands thoroughly. There we go. Keep your dogs on lead round livestock. Yep. And don't let them lick toads. Right, guys, don't take care. Bye. Bye. If you would like to join in the fun of What Word Wednesday and Thingamajig Thursday, follow the Dog Training Dictionary on Facebook and Instagram at Dog Training Dictionary. Email any questions to dtd at dogtrainingdictionary.com. Please rate, review and subscribe and tell your chums. The Dog Training Dictionary is brought to you in association with Canine Hoopers World and the Woofing Pawson Podcast. Follow Canine Hoopers World on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Canine Hoopers World. The Woofing Pawson Podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Great Paws NE. Thank you once again for listening and we hope you've enjoyed your learning journey. It's Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Woofing Possum Podcast. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can find us on social media. I'm at Great Pause NE, which is Great Pause NE for Northeast, on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact me via my website, which is greatpause.co.uk. And you can also consume some free online courses at greatpausegang.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much, folks. And we will see you soon for our next episode.